This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is wandering, wondering, and finding safety. In the first half, we'll hear Dr. Kelly Patterson from his 2013 BYU devotional address, Wandering and Wondering. Then in the second half, Brian Santiago speaks of safety on the Lord's side. Here's Kelly Patterson, professor of political science. I would like to thank BYU for giving me the opportunity to speak to you today. I have had the amazing privilege of teaching at this wonderful university for almost 20 years. I love BYU and what it has meant for my family, my students, and me. Indeed, I would like to thank my family, many of whom are seated here, my colleagues, many of whom came today, and my students, uh, once again, who didn't have to come here but did. But especially, I would like to thank my family. I love you all very much. You have made this experience for me one of joy and happiness. Today, I would like to talk about wandering and wondering. The topic of this devotional has been percolating in my mind for a while. Bishop Stephen Knott, who is bishop in the 10th Ward in the Salt Lake Married Student Second Stake, and yes, that stake is associated with the University of Utah, asked me to speak to his ward about faith. He was concerned about the challenges being posed to the faith of some of the members. He did not want me to speak about the concept of faith per se, but about those elements of our modern culture that challenge faith. Today, I hope to expand a little upon the ideas I discussed with those remarkable students that day. Let me start out with a little bit of a disclaimer. What we are going to talk about today is one way to address these issues, not the only way. Many of you will never struggle with issues of faith, but some of you might. There are a variety of ways to approach these issues, and I'm really only talking about the way in which I have attempted to play with them. Now, I use the word play intentionally. Play implies spontaneity or seeing something afresh. Reflecting about and deepening faith is quite enjoyable and rewarding. It can also much like play, refresh and revive you so that you can continue your many other responsibilities with more insight and vigor. But learning about and living with faith is a personal journey. I expect that many of you will and should approach these issues somewhat differently than I have. What I hope you understand is that they can be addressed that you can take what is beautiful and true about the gospel of Jesus Christ and live in a world that is not always friendly to faith. Tensions do exist between your faith and some of the norms of the world, but it certainly seems possible to find a balance between the two demands. To put it bluntly, you can know that Jesus is the Christ and that he restored his gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith at the same time that you can immerse yourself in the wonders of the humanities, the social sciences, and the sciences, and other disciplines of knowledge. The dichotomy between faith and reason, so popular today, is in some respects a product of the 17th and 18th centuries, as the thinkers of the Enlightenment sought to attack organized religion as a means of loosening its grip on society. Enlightenment thinkers, such as the most ardent proponents of the French Revolution, launched an all-out war on religion because it stood in the way of the thorough remaking of society that they envisioned. In the process, a caricature of religion emerged, 
that to some extent has persisted to this day. What I hope you will understand is that seeing reason and faith as incompatible necessarily distorts both reason and faith. Indeed, the faster that you reject this false dichotomy, the quicker you can get started with the business of developing the full range of talents and abilities that will make you so valuable in the Lord's kingdom. So often, all we see are the two mutually exclusive alternatives. However, there are often other ways to approach a question or problem. Let me illustrate this with a story. I like to run, and there is a small group of runners here at BYU with a branch in Salt Lake City that we call the Eight Minute Gang. I won't go into the details of why we call it the Eight Minute Gang, but it has nothing to do with our pace. <laughs> we have run all over this state together and have participated in several races. The first marathon by one of the members of the Eight Minute Gang was the Deseret News Marathon. Now, the D News Marathon is run on July 24th in Salt Lake City and follows the route of the pioneers down Immigration Canyon. What a way to celebrate, huh? It is a brutal run. So brutal, in fact, that one member of the Eight Minute Gang simply joins us at the mouth of Immigration Canyon to carry our water on the sun-drenched foothill section of the course. He doesn't even want to run the whole thing. He just wants to carry our water. The heat saps all of your energy, and the relentless pounding of the steep downhill course turns your quadriceps into ground beef. True. <laughs> On this particular day, our brave runner from the Eight Minute Gang made it as far as the corner of 13th East and South Temple, only three miles from the finish line in Liberty Park, at which time he pulled off the course and collapsed onto a shaded lawn. Mercifully shaded, I might add. Another member of the gang and I encouraged him to get up and to get up soon before his legs seized up. Eventually, we helped him up and he uttered the words that now live in eight minute gang lore I can't walk and I can't run, but I can shuffle. <laughs> and shuffle he did until the finish line. Shuffling was, in essence, an option we hadn't considered until faced with the necessity of either, of either dropping out or starting to run again. Similarly, modern society most often provides us with the mutually exclusive options of being either faithful or rational. However, we have many more interesting and intriguing possibilities before us. The Lord has furnished us with two models to help us cope with the tension we often face between faith and reason. These two models take the form of the wanderer and the wanderer. Both of these types appear prominently in our scripture and provide us postures we ought to consider assuming as we confront the challenges of living in a modern world. I want you to notice that as we combine the models of the wanderer and the wanderer, we can actually carve out another way to live in a world that often forces a contrived set of choices upon us. The first model is that of the wanderer. The wanderer is an individual or people who are not completely and wholly comfortable in this world. They know that this world is only a passage to another world. Consequently, these individuals never become too at home here in the world because they know their real home is somewhere else. Examples of wanderers abound in the scriptures. Abraham, Moses, 
the children of Israel, the Nephites, the Jaredites, and even our own pioneer history all emphasize wandering. In perhaps one of the most poignant passages, poignant and poetic passages in the Book of Mormon, Jacob, the brother of Nephi, states in Jacob chapter 7, verse 26, I conclude this record, declaring that I have written according to the best of my knowledge, by saying that the time passed away with us, and also our lives passed away, like as it were unto us a dream. We being a, we being a lonesome and a solemn people, wanderers, emphasis there on wanderers, cast out from Jerusalem, born in tribulation, in a wilderness, and hated of our brethren, which caused wars and contentions. Wherefore, we did mourn out our days. Now, this is not an aimless wandering. This is a description of a wandering as a separation from what is familiar or comfortable. It is a wandering that is designed to take the individuals or people out of the situation in which they find themselves so that the Lord could teach them the gospel and make sacred covenants with them. The wandering wrenches them out of the comforts, habits, and routines that can dull their senses and fixate their desires on the mundane. The wandering removes the residue of the world from off of them and creates openings for Heavenly Father to teach them his gospel. We are often likened to wanders and even admonished to act as such. It is perhaps in this vein that we could read the discourse on faith that Paul sends to the Hebrews. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, he recounts all these tremendous acts accomplished through faith. It's really a beautiful chapter of scripture. And the trials suffered by those who believed. He then says in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These were individuals different from the world and who resided in places that made the attractions of the world less immediate to them. We are not asked expressly to wander in deserts and in mountains, but we are asked not to become too comfortable here. This is not our home. It is with this type of awareness in mind that the political theorist Michael Walzer writes about the Israelites, and so the wilderness had to be a new school of the soul. Wandering on this earth for our appointed time is our school of the soul. However, we can only learn from this school if we take the initiative to enroll and ref to reflect on the meaning and splendor of its lessons. The model of the wanderer is not sufficient by itself. For this reason, the second model is that of the wanderer. Here also we have numerous examples after which to pattern our lives, such as Adam, Lehi, Nephi, the apostles John and Paul, and the prophet Joseph Smith. But perhaps the example I love the most comes from the consummate wanderer and wanderer, Moses. Moses establishes his credentials early as a wanderer. In the Pearl of Great Price, we have the account of Moses' grand vision. There are two critical parts in this vision that apply to the idea of wonder. In chapter 1, verse 10, Moses' reflections produce this perceptive phrase. Now for this cause, I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. 
To have a deep sense of wonder, we must recognize the limits to our own understanding. So often we are quick to think that we already understand how the world works. Moses' realization that man is nothing now makes it possible for him to make real progress. He is not starting with the assurance of what he thinks he already knows. Think of the freshman we've taught. <laughs> but with the understanding that there is much more to learn from a source that seems to have so much more wisdom and knowledge than he had previously thought possible or understood. What does Moses now do with this enriched understanding? The answer appears in verse 30 of chapter 1, where he now seizes the full import of his new understanding and asks the questions that go to the very heart of wonder. This verse states, And it came to pass that Moses called upon God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, why these things are so, and by what thou madest them. Once again, these two questions are at the center of wonder. When we stare up at the night sky and see the brilliance of the stars, or when we hold a baby in our arms for the very first time, or when we contemplate on the death of a loved one, we cannot help but wonder why these things are so and by what they were made. These two questions form the core of all human wondering and questioning up to our present day. So what does wandering and wondering do for you? What sorts of perspectives should a productive merging of these two postures impart to you? And this is where we get to the kind of recommendations of the talk. First, you should acknowledge that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not, and this I must emphatically say, does not require you to check your intelligence at the door. Think of what the prophet Joseph Smith wrote during his imprisonment in Liberty Jail. And I quote, the things of God are of deep import and time and experience and careful and ponderous and solemn thoughts can only find them out. Thy mind, O man, if thou wilt lead a soul unto salvation, must stretch as high as the utmost heavens and search into and contemplate the lowest considerations of the darkest abyss and expand upon the broad considerations of eternal expanse. He must commune with God. How much more dignified and noble are the thoughts of God than the vain imaginations of the human heart? None but fools will trifle with the souls of men. You cannot contemplate the things of God without some distance between you and the world and without a stance of wonder and awe. Furthermore, we do not shy away from the hard work of thinking and contemplating. It is not our heritage. Parley P. Pratt, B.H. Roberts, and literally hundreds of others have pushed us as a people in our short history to think and to think profoundly. My grandfather Patterson was a missionary in the Eastern States Mission in 1927 when Elder B.H. Roberts was president of that mission. I have a copy of his journal here with me today. Elder Roberts had an extensive six-week school which he uh, with which he prepared his missionaries for the rigors of missionary life. Elder Roberts cared deeply about his missionaries and wanted them to develop the spiritual, 
intellectual and physical gifts that would help them succeed. He pushed them very hard to think about the gospel and to develop the ability to preach it and defend it. In this journal that I did bring with me today, my grandfather accords his journal what I think is the essence of the work required of us to learn the gospel. Now before I get started, imagine this. My, my grandfather is fresh off the farm in Clinton, Utah. Okay? So he's not one of these really sophisticated type individuals. He, this was probably, this was his first trip really outside of Utah. So on January 27, on 17, 1927, he wrote, School started out as per schedule, and we have been following the schedule all week. And it certainly put one's nerves on edge, for my head has felt like a boiler factory. But it was worth it just to hear President Roberts talk. Okay? So, he's really being put through the ringer. Okay? So, the next day, January 18th, he records, school went along as scheduled, even if my head did hurt. So we're not stopping for his headache. <laughs> January 20th, school as usual, head still hurting. And January, uh, and, well, January 19th, and January 20th, school as usual, head still hurting. I mean, this, this theme occurs over and over again. Now, lest you think this ends with my grandfather's head exploding, he records on January 21st, just had school till noon, had the rest of the day to catch up on our loafing. Okay. We can and should do the hard work of thinking and of engaging with those who have considered similar questions within the academic disciplines. It is part of the charm of wondering. But when it comes to doing the hard thinking, though, Latter-day Saints start from the premise that there is more than just knowledge to be gained. Latter-day Saints, with their stance as wanderers, know that there's a reality beyond the present, which gives the thinking and questioning a genuine purpose. As the Book of Mormon states in 2 Nephi chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, when they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God. For they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. There's a second perspective we gain as we blend the stances of wander and wonder. As you encounter the secular world, you will hear representations made against religion, God, communities of believers, and many other aspects of faith. As you encounter such representations, your stance as a wanderer and a wonderer should already have prepared you to scrutinize carefully the assumptions of those who only make the worst representations about faith. As a wanderer, you should not feel completely at home with the fads and trends, trends in thinking that you see in the world. You should, have already, you should already have some misgivings about them. As somebody committed to wonder, you can continuously pursue knowledge about the heavens and gain insights and understanding that many in the world never choose to achieve. For example, how many individuals do you know who get tripped up on the idea of evil or why bad things happen to good people. Many of the current negative representations of religion make assumptions about God, nature, and the heavens that students and followers of the restored gospel do not make. The idea of a pre-existence and the choice that we made to come to earth and learn how to make and keep covenants provides us with a perspective on evil that most people simply ignore. 
Our gospel-aided insights do not keep us from being sad at the presence of evil, but they do help us to see that it is not completely and utterly senseless and cruel of our Heavenly Father to put us here. Third, wandering and wondering should also make you careful about the assumptions you entertain about your own faith. The assumptions that lurk in the background of your thinking exercise a powerful influence. And if you are not careful and self-reflective, they may sometimes guide you to the wrong place. Seeing yourself as a wanderer humbles you and helps you avoid turning your own ideas into idols. Wandering brings with it meekness. And wonder supplies the enthusiasm to call upon your Heavenly Father as you seek to understand Him and His plan. For example, when you hear the word prophet, what are the descriptions that leap into your mind and shape your judgments? How many of you think that the Lord was constantly holding on to the prophet Joseph Smith's elbow and whispering into his ear during his waking and even his sleeping hours? If your standard assumptions or understanding of a prophet, or any church leader for that matter, are more rigorous than what the Lord expects, then you set yourself up for disappointment and maybe even anger. As Elder Holland said in the April 2013 conference, so be kind regarding human frailty, your own as well as that of those who serve with you in a church led by volunteer mortal men and women, except in the case of his only perfect begotten son, imperfect people are all God has ever had to work with. That must be terribly frustrating to him, but he deals with it, so should we. And when you see imperfection, remember that the limitation is not in the divinity of the work. There is much that we can gain from adopting the stance of a wanderer and a wonderer. As wanderers, we gain a critical perspective on the categories of thinking that pervade a world that seems increasingly hostile to faith. As wonders, we embrace the beauty and mysteries of our journey here. As wonders, we fulfill the design of the 13th article of faith. If there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. We seek after the knowledge, gifts, and wisdom, because according to Brigham Young, we are trying to be the image of those who live in heaven. We are trying to pattern after them, to look like them, to walk and talk like them. These are indeed lofty aspirations. And they are the aspirations of the wanderer and the wonderer. The person who is not at home here, but who wonders often about this home and the destination to which he can be fitted. As the late Neil, Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, the restored gospel is buoyant, wide, and deep beyond our comprehension. It edifies whether concerning divine design in the universe or stressing the importance of personal chastity and fidelity. Only meek disciples can safely handle such a bold theology. Brothers and sisters, we can repurpose the tension between the world and such a bold theology by taking the best of what the wanderer and the wonder have to offer us. We can creatively use the examples of wandering and wandering to blaze a reliable and exhilarating path back into the presence of our Heavenly Father. I leave you today with my testimony of the beauty and truth of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ.
in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Wandering, Wondering, and Finding Safety. We've just heard from Dr. Kelly Patterson. After the break, we'll return with Brian Santiago and Safety on the Lord's Side. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Wandering, Wondering, and Finding Safety. Next is Brian Santiago, a Senior Athletic Director with Safety on the Lord's Side. As a young boy, I still think of myself as young. I grew up on the east side of Provo, Utah, surrounded by the mountains, Rock Canyon, the Provo River, and Utah Lake. I often heard stories about the greatest lake ever, Lake Powell. Friends, classmates, teachers, neighbors, and pretty much every person I knew would relate stories of water skiing, cliff jumping, houseboats, jet skis, sunshine, and good food. I wondered if I would ever have the chance to visit. The years passed by, junior high school, high school, a mission, college, graduate school, and still no opportunity came. In the summer of 2001, the stars began to align. A trip was planned and I was included. To ensure my attendance, I volunteered to drive and bring a couple of people with me. With much anticipation, my wife Kimberly and I, along with a couple of others, headed south for the six-hour drive to Waweet Marina, getting started an hour later than we had originally planned. As we drove the long straight drive approaching Waweep, the red rock cliffs and beauty were apparent, enhanced by a beautiful sunset. It was hard to contain my excitement. Arrangements had been made for Dave Rose, a colleague of mine on the basketball staff and veteran boat operator, to pick us up at the dock and transport us to, to a houseboat already located on the lake a few miles from the dock. As planned, he and his daughter Chanel were waiting and we loaded the boat. The sun had set, the only light and sense of direction was the brilliant moon in the sky. With some hesitation, veteran boat operators don't often show all of their concerns and fears, the boat was launched and we headed for paradise. Knowing the lake, Dave set a path towards the canyon where the houseboat was located, led by the light of the moon. Within minutes of our departure, it became apparent that a storm was upon us. Dark clouds covered the sky, the moonlight disappeared, and the blinding rain and waves rocked the boat. I now understood Dave's hesitancy prior to the departure from the dock. The thought kept coming to my mind, this is what Lake Powell is all about. In that moment, not that impressed. Multiple prayers ensued as we pressed on, fighting the storm. Suddenly, we slammed into a sandbar. The engine ceased. The waves pounded the boat, each passing wave pressing us harder against the sand. Dave yelled for his daughter to jump out into the sand to push us back into the raging waters. Her strength to this day is an inspiration and a miracle. She successfully pushed us against the waves and current back into the lake. The engine started and we pressed on towards the houseboat. Fear-stricken, we prayed for calm waters so we could arrive safely at our destination. Within minutes, the storm blew on, the moon reappeared, and Dave was able to deliver us safely, albeit wet, freezing cold, scared and wide-eyed, and still wondering what the buzz of Lake Powell was all about. The next morning, I awoke to one of the most breathtaking places on planet Earth, crystal clear water surrounded by red rock cliffs, 
pure sand, and a perfect blue sky with abundant sunshine. A place that, in my opinion, could be added to the seven natural wonders of the world. Lake Powell was better than I expected. That experience has proven to be a metaphor for our journey through life. We must pass and press forward through the storms of life to find the calm, reassuring peace that comes from being safely on the Lord's side. My experience at Lake Powell brings to mind the words of one of my favorite hymns, Master, the tempest is raging. Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is o'ershadowed with blackness. No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep? when each moment so madly is threatening, a grave in the angry deep. Master with anguish of spirit, I bow in my grief today. The depths of my sad heart are troubled. Awaken and save, I pray. Torrents of sin and of anguish sweep o'er my sinking soul. And I perish, I perish, dear master. Oh, hasten and take control. And then this beautiful chorus. The winds and the waves shall obey thy will. Peace. Be still, peace, be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea, or demons, or men, or whatever it be, no waters can swallow the ship where lies, the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace, be still, peace, be still. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace, peace, be still. And then the beautiful last verse. Master, the terror is over. The elements sweetly rest. Earth's sun in the calm lake is mirrored. And heaven's within my breast. Linger, O blessed Redeemer. Leave me alone no more. And with joy I shall make the blessed harbor and rest on the blissful shore. We have a choice to make as we navigate life and the path back to a loving Heavenly Father who longs for our return. In the Book of Mormon, Alma teaches us, Therefore this life became a probationary state, a time to prepare to meet God. Our choice is whether or not we want to be safely on the Lord's side. Every one of us faces adversity, trials, and the storms of life. Today I want to propose three areas that can help deliver us back into the outstretched arms of the Savior. First, being at peace with God through our personal integrity. Second, following the promptings of the Holy Ghost. And third, perseverance. Personal integrity. It has been my experience in life that there are few feelings that rival being at peace with the Savior, which comes as a result of our willingness to be totally honest with Him. A recent story shared in General Conference by Sister Ann C. Dibb illustrates this point. Quote, a man went one evening to steal from a neighbor's field. He took his little boy with him to sit on the fence and keep a lookout so as to give warning in case anyone should come along. The man jumped over the fence with a large bag on his arm, ready to collect the corn. And before commencing to take the corn, he looked all around, first one way and then the other. And not seeing any person, he was just about to fill his bag. His boy then called out, Father, there is one way you haven't looked yet. You forgot to look up. End quote. In Doctrine and Covenants section 6 we read, Yea, I tell thee that thou mayest know that there is none else save God that knoweth thy thoughts and the intents of thy heart. The adversary teaches us to hide, 
And when we make mistakes, it is our human nature to hide. The question, who are we hiding from? We win when we are honest with our fellow men, ourselves and God. An experience we had hiring one of our head coaches in the athletic department illustrates this point. With permission from Carrie Summerhays Roberts, I share this experience. Our athletic director, Tom Holman, and I had completed the interviews with our final two candidates for the position of head women's golf coach. We had two excellent and very qualified candidates who were both passionate about getting the job. It seemed like we could, go no wrong, could not go wrong with either choice, but we had a tough decision to make, determining who was the best fit. We were searching for something to differentiate the two and kept coming up empty until a meeting with Carrie provided the answer. Carrie and I met in my office and again discussed in detail the job responsibilities and answered her questions, then proceeded to finish the meeting. As she started to leave my office, she turned around and told me she needed to share something personal with me. She proceeded to tell me that she wanted to be totally honest with me against the recommendation of many who had advised her not to for fear it may cost her the job. She then told me that she was expecting a child. I responded by telling her how much I appreciated her honesty and being straightforward because it was crucial for us to plan summer recruiting and prepare for the fall season. She left my office certainly at peace that she had been totally honest, but also wondering if that disclosure of information had just cost her a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. After she disappeared down the hallway, I walked to Tom's office, knocked on the door, and expressed to him that we had found our coach. She had just provided us the reassurance that we would not have to worry about how she would lead the golf program. Her demonstration of integrity made all the difference in the world, and she was offered and accepted the job shortly thereafter. I am reminded of a quote from Elder Tad R. Callister's devotional address. May the integrity of our souls have a sign that reads in bold black letters, not for sale at any price, so that it might be said of us as it was of Hiram Smith. Blessed is my servant Hiram Smith, for I, the Lord, love him because of the integrity of his heart. Elder Callister continued, May we all become men and women of integrity, not because we have to, but because we want to. The Lord announced the reward for those who do so. Verily I say unto you, all among them who know their hearts are honest and are willing to observe their covenants by sacrifice are accepted of me. Second, following the promptings of the Holy Ghost. Living our lives with integrity before the Lord allows us to stand with confidence and provides an avenue for the Holy Ghost to lead and guide us through our lives. The Savior gave us this promise. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth within you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. What an incredible promise and blessing to live our lives with the promise of having the Holy Ghost with us. As I'm sure many of you have had experiences with the promptings of the Holy Ghost, when the promptings of the Holy Ghost have led you away from danger to safety, I would like to share a personal one with you. A few years ago, I was excited to attend the NCAA track and field championships with our men's and women's track teams. I had been newly assigned to oversee the programs and looked forward to watching our teams and individual student-athletes compete for a national championship at Sacramento State University, where 
I arrived in Sacramento, where a staff member picked me up at the airport and shuttled me to the Marriott Courtyard next to the UC Davis Medical Center. After unpacking, I went with members of the team over to the track and watched an outstanding day of competition. After spending 10 plus hours at the track with little to eat, I was anxious to return to the hotel in hopes of finding some dinner. It was late, pushing 10 p.m., but I was determined. I walked outside and assuming I was in a safe area, I started to walk toward walk looking for any sign of nourishment. I came to the main road and as I looked to my left, there seemed to be some possibilities about a mile down the road. Without paying much attention, I started walking toward the lights. After a few moments and still a ways to go, I realized I was in a rough neighborhood and in danger. I was prompted to look behind me and it became apparent I was being followed. I said a little prayer as I started to walk with extra pace and had the thought to pull out my phone and begin speaking loudly, hoping that would distract the two guys following me. I crossed the street on an angle and while relieved the two trailing me didn't cross the street, I looked ahead to see two men, more men walking towards me. I again raised the phone and spoke loudly and passed by the men. They stopped and looked me over, but at that moment I was not interested to ask them what they thought. <laughs> Sheer panic had all but set in as I started a light jog towards the lights and what seemed to be a shopping center. I ran into the parking lot of the shopping center and for some reason wasn't hungry anymore. Scared to death, I spotted a police car parked next to the entrance. I approached the vehicle and the officer was somewhat alarmed to see me coming towards him. He cracked his window as I motioned to him. I told him I was from out of town and was looking for something to eat, but felt I was unsafe. He asked me where I'd come from. I told him I was staying at the Marriott Courtyard at the UC Davis Medical Center. He asked me how I had gotten to the shopping center. When I told him I had walked, he told me to get in the back of his vehicle immediately and I didn't hesitate. He told me I was lucky to be alive and was surprised that I had made it unharmed. I explained to him that I was being followed and walked head on into a couple of others. He asked me if they said anything to me and I explained that they had stopped and looked me up and down, but that I was acting as if I was on the phone and lived close by. He said it had probably saved my life and the outcome could have been disastrous. Needless to say, I've never been so grateful to be dropped off at a hotel in the back of a police car no matter how it looked to those that saw me. <laughs> it is alarming how quickly our lives can change by decisions we make. Each day, each one of us makes choices that will determine our destiny. Simple decisions that seem insignificant at the time can have lasting effects. It is imperative that we have the companionship of the Holy Ghost to help us stay on the path of righteousness. The Savior teaches us in a revelation given in DNC 11, and now verily I say unto you, I say unto thee, put your trust in that spirit which leadeth to do good, yea, to do justly, to walk humbly, to judge righteously, and this is my spirit. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I will impart unto you of my spirit which shall enlighten your mind, which shall fill your soul with joy, and then shall ye know, or by this shall you know, all things whatsoever you desire of me which are pertaining unto things of righteousness, in faith believing in me that you shall receive. Elder F. and Zio Busha in 1979 shared, It takes courage and commitment to follow the promptings of the Spirit because they may frighten us as they lead us to walk along new paths, sometimes paths that no one has walked before, paths of the second mile, of acting totally differently from how worldly people act. 
For instance, we may be prompted to smile when someone offends us, to give love where others give hate, to say thank you where others would not find anything to be thankful for, to accept jobs that others would be too proud to do, to apologize where others would defend themselves, and to do all the seemingly crazy things that the Spirit prompts a righteous, honest, listening heart to do. Third, perseverance. President James E. Faust said, perseverance is demonstrated by those who keep going when the going gets tough, who don't give up even when others say it can't be done, end quote. Those words are music to my ears because I believe that to be successful, we have to be willing to do things others are unwilling to do. Above the door in my office, there's a wooden plaque that my college basketball coach sent to me with the following letters, F-A-W, NLU. It is my daily reminder to find a way and never let up. Whether it be small, meaningless tasks or life's biggest challenges, there is always a way to overcome, accomplish, and persevere. With the Lord at our side, we must carry on. In late August of 2010, after a long Sunday as a new bishop, I was sitting on the couch at my parents' home when news of a Mormon bishop tragically killed in Visalia, California, came across the television. Alarmed, I called out to my wife, and to our shock and dismay, it was Clay Sanner, the brother of a close family friend. The ensuing weeks and months were difficult as family and friends rallied around Clay's wife, Julie, and their six sons. The BYU football team reached out and invited Julie and her boys to be part of their Thursday's hero program to give them a day to remember. The team encircled the family, lifted them onto their shoulders, showered them with gifts, and boosted their spirits. It was an inspired effort to help a broken-hearted family persevere through tragedy. Fellas, come on over. The team wants to talk to you guys. My name's Matt Marshall, and uh, we just want to thank you guys for coming out. We heard about you guys' story and everything that's happened, and you know, we look to you guys as one of our heroes. You know, times of uh, struggle, and you guys have been so strong, kind of with some we're going through. Uh, we just wanted to have you guys come out and uh, say uh, how uh, thankful we are for you guys being an example to us. I just want to second uh, what Matt said and uh, tell you guys we love you. We don't really know you personally, but we do love you, and you are our heroes. So what we want to do is we want to ask you guys, um, like we ask everyone that comes and visits us in similar circumstances, to sign our flag. Um, and to, uh, to put your name on here, pledge, uh, you know, whatever you want to pledge to us or whatever, you know, you want to, uh, to your Heavenly Father when you sign this. Um, and we'll carry it out on game day. One, two, three, go A little over a year later, I was on the phone with Julie. I asked her how she was doing, and her response has been an inspiration to me and others as she carries on. She said... I don't know how I'm doing, Brian, but I keep rowing my boat. I believe as Julie taught me that day, the Lord will take the other oar and help us row as we navigate our path safely on the Lord's side. Each one of us has the opportunity to join a winning team by being full of integrity, following the promptings of the Holy Ghost, and persevering through the rough waters of life. I am grateful for the Savior and testify that He lives. He knows each one of us personally and is anxiously waiting to see if we will accept His promise. Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. Seek me diligently, 
and ye shall find me. Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and on your left. And my spirit shall be in your hearts and my angels round about you to bear you up. I pray that each one of us can find peace and comfort in knowing that the Savior of the world will help us row our boats into his outstretched arms. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and recentering. Today's theme was Wandering, Wondering, and Finding Safety, with thoughts from Dr. Kelly Patterson and Brian Santiago. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.